Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burugun campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Praise God. So this morning I will be concluding our series on the Feast of Israel. We've looked at six feasts so far and four of them are considered for a spring feast. They, were, they are the Passover, the unleavened bread, first fruits, and of course Pentecost are considered for spring feast. And then there's two autumn feasts, which is the trumpets and atonement, which Nick was talking and preaching about last week. And so this morning, we will be looking at the seventh and final feast in the Jewish culture and in the life of the Israelite people, which is the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles is also called the Feast or Festival of Booths, or the in-gathering, or the Thanksgiving Feast, where the people of God gather together to really give praise and give thanks to the Lord for all the amazing, incredible things that He has done for them as they journeyed with them from Egypt into the Promised Land. And so this is kind of like a celebration where it is filled with thanksgiving, filled with rejoicing and worship. The Hebrew word is basically sakot, which means shelter. Now I have a picture here of an Old Testament uh, tabernacle. Historically, the Jewish people are reminded during the Feast of the Tabernacles of their 40 years that they spent in the wilderness as they were leaving Egypt, moving into the Promised Land, and they spent every single day in the wilderness and in the desert. And yet, in spite of their sin and their rebellion and their disobedience in the desert and in the wilderness, God was always with them. God provided for everything that they needed. In fact, it was demonstrated that during the day they have a a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. When they were hungry, God just brought, you know, ravens or or birds to feed them. So they have meat and, and bread. And so even if they were disobedient people, even if they sinned against God, God never abandoned them in the wilderness. Just a bit of side note here. It was never God's intention for the Israelite people to linger and stay in the wilderness. Because his overall plan was always to lead them out into the promised land. In the same way that God's intention for you and I is never to stay in your wilderness. It was never, it's never God's intention for you to be in the desert. And whatever it is that you're feeling right now and you're experiencing right now, your circumstances, you might feel like you are in the middle of a dry desert and you're experiencing some kind of wilderness. Well, there's good news for us. What is it? it? The good news is, is that God is going to lead us out of that wilderness. God is going to lead you out of your desert experience. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the presence of God, which is really what the Feast of the Tabernacle is all about. The tabernacle was a, a portable structure, earthly dwelling place, of Yahweh. 
when God called out the Israelites under the leadership of Moses, God gave very clear instruction to Moses that they are to build a tabernacle for God to dwell because that was his choosing. That was his way of interacting with his people. And then uh, the high priest would go and enter into the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle and be the mediator between God and his people. And that was the role of the high priest. And so this tabernacle was basically just a representation of the interaction and the presence of God with his people. And they are to take this tabernacle with them wherever they go. Wherever they go, they stop in the wilderness and then they set up camp and then they set up the tabernacle as a place of worship, worshiping Yahweh, the holy God. I've come across an article that it says in 2013, it was reported that possible evidence had been found of the tabernacle in the ancient city of Shiloh in the West Bank. Archaeologists discovered holes hewn into rocks that may have been used for propping up the wooden beams of the tabernacle. And they also found remains of animals that were being sacrificed brought into the tabernacle. And they even found bathing ponds for the priests as they prepared themselves to enter into the Holy of Holies and, and, and uh, be with God on behalf of the people. And of course, after 440 years, we read in the Old Testament that when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, it superseded the tabernacle, which now the, the temple in Jerusalem became the dwelling place of God. And when it was finished and dedicated to the Lord, the very presence of God came and filled the temple with smoke. That was the presence of God. As the people of Israel celebrate this feast, it's so meaningful to them. Their hearts are filled with gratitude to the Lord. For a full week, they're celebrating. For seven days, they're not supposed to do work other than celebrating the very presence of God. Let me tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, that the presence of God makes all the difference. It is the indwelling presence of God that brings meaning to our lives. It is the, the presence of God that brings substance to our faith, power to overcome temptation and sin, and authenticity and integrity in our life and ministry. Without the presence of God, everything that we do is meaningless and empty, even in our worship. You can have the most fantastic music in the world, you can have the most jumpy people and all that in the world and all this, but without the very presence of God, that very act is meaningless. Because it is the presence of God that makes all the difference. So this morning, I want to share with you as we explore the Feast of the Tabernacle and understanding the very presence of God, I want to share with you Three aspects for us to consider that has great significance in understanding this feast. So the first is the historical significance that we can find in Leviticus 23 verses 33 to 44. And Elliot Pasco is going to come and read this passage for us this morning. Where is uh, Elliot? Yep, thanks Elliot. Come up here. Let's uh, give him a big hand as he makes his way to the front. The Lord said to Moses, 
Say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do, not, uh, do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a scare, um, sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in, are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbath and addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and the free will offerings you give to the Lord. So it begins with the 15th day of the seventh month. After you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxurious trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this festival to the Lord for seven days after uh, days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Celebrate it in, all, in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. Thank you, Elliot. The word in Hebrew for tabernacle is mishkan, meaning residence or dwelling place. And it's also known as the tent of the congregation or the tent of meeting. That is the tabernacle itself. And the way that they were asked to celebrate this is to come and present offerings and bring palm branches as they worship and gather together and worship. And so the Feast of Tabernacle is really characterized by great rejoicing and the bringing of an offering to the Lord, the building of booths and temporary shelters, the outpouring of water drawn from the pool of Siloam, and the lighting of the inner court of the temple with a grand candelabra. That was very prescriptive kind of of a command that God gave to Moses and his people. Why? Well, what is the significance of all these ritualistic things that they have to do? Well, of course, the great celebration and rejoicing really is to encourage the people to thank the Lord for all the things that he has done for his provision, for his protection over them. And, and um, God wants the people of Israel to be reminded always, not just from this generation, but the generations to come. Because that's how they passed on tradition and culture. That, that the people of Israel will know that the God of Israel is the Almighty God. And so they were to celebrate, to celebrate the feast by building tents or booths to remind them of the temporary shelter that they were living on when they were in the wilderness. And, and, and basically, 
but make them realize and understand the, the brevity of life and the, the temporariness of their journey. And, and we're just here, we're passing through. We're not going to be settled here. It, we, I, we've never come across in, in the Old Testament account where they moved on from one place of the desert into another and then they start constructing houses. No, they were just temporary shelters because God wants to remind them that, hey, my people, your situation, your circumstances is not going to be permanent. I'm going to be moving you on into the promised land. And so just build booths or tents. And in fact, as I did more reading about it, when they build their tents uh, made of branches or sometimes piece of cloth and everything, they were to build it loosely so that there are gaps between them and people can actually see through the sky and see the light and think that God was looking after them. That's the significance of it. It wasn't like a, a fancy tent like what we have now. This is like a double swag. I was, I was saying to Nick this morning, that's really fancy. That, that, that looks like very, very comfortable for me. But, 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 uh, but that was that the, the purpose of it was to remind them that it is temporary. It's not going to be permanent shelter for you. And then the next one is the ceremony of the pouring of the water where the high priest would grab a golden jug or a pitcher and then they would go and they will have a procession, the people following led by the priest and the priest will go to the pool of Siloam and fill the golden jug with water and then as they go back to the temple in worship and adoration, the, the high priest will then pour the water before the altar of the Lord at the tabernacle to remind them of their desert experience when they had no water. When in the desert of Meribah, water came out of the rocks. They were thirsty. They had nowhere to find water at all. And God struck the rock and water came out. And that was a great reminder for them that God was looking after them. The ritual of the pouring of the water had physical and spiritual significance for the life of the Israelite people. They were praying and expecting for the rainy day to come in order to soften the ground so that they can begin to plow again and plant. And so that particular ceremony that they did was to thank God in advance for the rain that he is going to bring so that they can plant again for the next season and have a good harvest the following year. Thank the Lord in advance. Wow, what an amazing thing to do. And the third and final ritual that they do is the lighting of the candelabras in the temple, of the, the inner court of the temple, where the high priest would ask a young priest to climb 150 feet high. That's how high the candelabra is. On the four corners of the tabernacle. And then uh, some readings I did is that they would pour out 20 gallons of oil. And the wick that was used to light the candelabra was kind of like worn out robes of the high priest. That they would make it into a wig and put it in the center of the candelabra. And then they would light it. And as the four candelabras were lit around the tabernacle, it lights up the whole camp. It lights up the whole city. To remind them 
that God was with them in their journey, that he was a pillar of fire by night. Tell this to your generation. I provided light for you so that you will not walk in darkness. So, how did Jesus fulfill this feast of the tabernacle? Let's consider the second aspect of it. How did Jesus fulfill the feast of the tabernacle? Otherwise, it will just become a ritual in and of itself. In Matthew 1 verse 23, it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God doesn't, no longer dwells in the tent or in the tabernacle or in the temple of Solomon or in Jerusalem. God chose to dwell among us. He is our Emmanuel, God with us wherever we go. Whatever it is that we are experiencing, different circumstances in life, God is our Emmanuel in Jesus. He is with us. And Nick just read it to us this morning, John 1 verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word dwelt or dwelling means tabernacled. In Greek, it means skenu. And the meaning is to tent or encamp or to occupy or reside. That is skenu. That is the word made His dwelling among us. God wants to reside. God wants to encamp in our lives. God wants to dwell and tabernacle in our lives. And that is Jesus. Amen? God in human flesh dwells in the midst of us. Who gives us His spirit in our hearts. And then there's a lot of things that Jesus said to fulfill the feast. He said, in John 14, my father's house has many rooms. My father's mansion has many rooms. If that were not so, would I, have, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? I am going to prepare a place for you. Brothers, this is an invitation to be with him forever. God is not asking us to build temporary tents. No, he promised us a permanent home of dwelling. Amen. This earth, this, the house that we live in, those are temporary. The real house that we're going to believe is a mansion in heaven. And that is Jesus. He promised that to his disciples when they were troubled. When he told them he was going to die and, and leave them in John 14. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then in, in verses 1 to 4, this is where he said, in my father's house are many mansions. I'll go and prepare a place for you. And when I've done that, I will come back and take you to be with me. Isn't that a wonderful picture? The second way that Jesus fulfilled that, the feast, was when he said to his disciples, Come to me, all who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Now, can you imagine living in this kind of accommodation for 40 years in the desert? Raise your hand if you can survive like that. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm, I'm kind of like a glamping person. I'm not really a, a camping person. Uh, I hate camping, um, especially when at 1.30 in the morning you have to get out of your tent this low to go to the toilet and, and zip. And I was like, oh man, I, I can't do this, you know. And, um, and Jesus it challenges and encourages us to go, come to me, come to me. 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm lowly and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus did not promise to give us life. He is life. He did not promise to just give us peace. He is our peace. He doesn't give us love. He is love. He is in himself all that we need. And you know, sometimes the cares and the worries of this world are the very things that keeps us awake in the night. We can't rest. We're so anxious. We're so disturbed with, with all the things that are happening, especially during this time, more so during this season of pandemic. It's creating a lot of uncertainty in our society, economically, socially, even education. Our kids are affected. Poor year 12s are finishing. My goodness, let's pray for them. We prayed for them in the, in the green room this morning. There's a whole lot of different factors that could make us, kind of gives us a sense of uh, unrest. And yet the invitation from Jesus is to come to him because he is our rest. And of course, uh, Jesus also said, uh, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. This actually took place at the feast in John 7, where it says, On the last day and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow out within them. And did you remember when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? And the woman asked him, where are you going to, to draw water from? Are you greater than our forefather Jacob that, that you know, uh, made this well and, and drank from this well? And his sons, uh, are you greater than him? And Jesus basically answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, there is a deep hang hunger and thirst in the human heart. A lot of people are longing for their thirst to be quenched and be satisfied. And only Jesus can do that. I was really inspired by Rick sharing this morning that the very word of God translated into Nunga is basically bringing life and meeting a particular hunger and emptiness in the hearts of our first peoples, the Nunga people. And that is the very nature and character of Jesus. He is our living water. And finally, the lighting of the candle, Jesus fulfilled it by saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just as Yahweh provided the pillar of fire by night as they journeyed for 40 years into the promised land, Jesus said, you won't have a pillar of fire by night because you will have me. I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me, if we follow Jesus, we will know where to go. You can't have blind leading the blind. Jesus is our light. Jesus is our leader. We need to follow him closely. The third aspect that we need to consider is hope for the future. Understanding the prophetic and the eschatological implication. Well, what a big theological word, eschatological. It basically means end times. 
or last days. Because for a people, if we don't have this sense of hope for the future, we're actually the most to be pitied. And, and, and kind of like almost like uh, a people with, with no hope and nothing to look forward to. And yet the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes again and receive his bride to be with him, that is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the feast. There will be a great feast in heaven where we will enjoy the very tabernacle presence of God. And that experience will be characterized with great rejoicing for the redeemed. The curse of sin is almost completely defeated and Satan is bound and the people of the earth will enjoy the rest of God. And it's not just one people group, but people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language and every culture will bow down before the throne of God. Wow, what a beautiful picture that is. That is our hope. It is strong and secure. In Titus 2 verse 13, it says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah 51 verse 11. He said, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee and will be no more. What a hope that we have. After this I looked, John said, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is the ultimate feast of the tabernacle. Amen? Amen. And we need to be part of it. We need to be part of it. Why don't we stand? I want to read to you the final verses of Revelation 21. Let's all stand together. And I want to close with this passage from the book of Revelation. And I want us to imagine meeting our Savior on that day. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell and tabernacle with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water 
of life. God is going to welcome all of us into his very presence. Then and only then we can celebrate fully the feast of tabernacle. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for just a great reminder, Lord God. It's such a symbolic act, Lord, that the people of Israel have observed, Lord God, to really just constantly remind them of your abiding presence, of your provision, of your protection. Lord, we ask for forgiveness because even for myself many times, Lord, I tend to forget, tend to forget what you have done in my life. Take it for granted, over familiarity. Father, we ask for forgiveness before you. And Lord, I just pray that we will be mindful of your presence. Thank you, Jesus, because you are the fulfillment of the tabernacle. And yet you have also promised us that when you come again, that you will welcome us into your presence. This is our hope. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.